It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 683 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I've got a very interesting show lined up for you today. Joining me is my guest, Christine Comerford. Christine is a leadership and culture coach to high-performing executives and author of a very interesting book titled Power Your Tribe, Create Resilient Teams in Turbulent Times. Now, we're going to be talking about using science to sell. In particular, leveraging new insights into brain science to help you communicate more effectively, which obviously will help us all learn how to sell better. So before we get to Christine, I want to talk to you a little bit about the sales house. It's my B2B sales learning accelerator, which just recently launched. I want to share with you what you'll find new this week in the sales house. First, we're going to have a sales masterclass with uh, Karen Dietz. Karen Dietz is a master storyteller, a PhD for folklorist, works with companies all around the country, helping them learn how to tell their story. And she's going to be teaching us how to create a simple story that sells. Uh, we have a new course in our 9-Minute Sales Academy. It's titled How to Visualize Sales Success. Simple exercises you can use to help you succeed at each step of your selling process. We have our weekly live coaching and mentoring hour, and that's for the entire community. And we do that every week. I host those personally. And on Thursday, hosting a live workshop with my guest, Lee Sulls. And Lee's going to be sharing strategies from his new Amazon best-selling book, Sales Differentiation. So you'll make sure you want to join us for that. And as well as you get unlimited access to me and our entire community through our Sales House Facebook group. So, you know, sales is hard work. And the good news is you don't have to sell alone. Come invest a few minutes a day in the Sales House to get just a little bit smarter, a little more proficient every single day. So visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. I look forward to seeing you in the house. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Christine Comerford. Among the topics we're going to dive into are advances in brain science and how that helps us understand how to more effectively communicate. We're going to talk about how to establish rapport by using the experience of what Christine calls the same as. It's a really interesting concept to understand and one that you could put to use in your selling. We'll talk about issues of safety, belonging, and mattering and how they affect how you sell, how to mitigate the buyer's risk, and much, much more. So let's just right, jump right into it. Christine Comerford, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andy. It's awesome to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. So um, where do we find you today? Joining us from? San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. Remember the first time we spoke and we had not been introduced. I forgot how we got in touch. Um, but we discovered that actually you had a high school connection with Bridget, who's my co-host on every show. Uh, I thought that was a small world story. Very small world. <laughs> now, did you guys were able to connect after that? Yes, we were. Yeah, we Very were cool. able to say hi over email. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, she spent some of her time in San Francisco as well. So, um, all right. Well, we're going to jump right into it. And you've written a book called Power Your Tribes create resilient teams in turbulent times and up oh, there you go <laughs> show the book cover that's perfect <laughs> Woo! and so you call yourself a neuroscience based leadership and culture coach so uh are you a neuroscientist no i am not i have a master's in applied neuroscience so what we do is that's we take good enough for me 
Okay. <laughs> it's putting it in the real world. You know, sure. it's applying it to business solutions instead of just doing a bunch of research with the brain. Yeah. Okay. And so you've been doing this for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, she says. So is this, what was sort of the motivation for writing this book at this time? Yes. So I know we've all noticed and chime in on your experience that the world is moving faster than ever. People are more stressed out than ever. They're bombarded with more information than ever. And people are having a hard time just being resilient, bouncing back, being emotionally agile, not getting stressed out and taken out. So I wrote Power Your Tribe to help people really create resilient teams, resilience, emotional resilience, emotional agility in their workplace with their prospects, with their clients, with their coworkers, et cetera. So it's full of really practical techniques that help us when we're having a bad day, when we're feeling stressed out, when we're not quite connecting with somebody and looking for tools to help us. Okay. And based on research and you know some familiar names in your book in some cases, but some that obviously aren't so familiar with people, but but there has been this this revolution really since World War II, I think, and in terms of understanding the brain and how we make decisions, how we process information. Mm. Yes, totally. And if we use that in sales and marketing contexts, in leadership contexts, we can communicate with the most primal part of the brain, the creature neurology, the reptilian and mammalian brain. And that's where most of our conflicts, misunderstandings, disconnections occur anyway. It takes a little bit more work for us to learn the tools we're going to talk about today so we can step onto somebody's map of the world and really give them an experience of same as. You're the same as me, so I don't need to resist you. So that's what we're going to talk about today in terms of tools. Yeah, I mean, sort of a hyper-empathy. Yeah, yeah, a hyper-empathy in a really practical way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'm just getting things out of the way first. Is So at the beginning of your book, how did you snag that testimonial from Bill Gates? Oh, <laughs> that's a testimonial from a really long time ago. Oh, okay, all right. When I was working with him. <laughs> so were you coaching Bill individually? Um, I worked with Bill for 16 years <laughs> Really, at Microsoft, and we worked together one-on-one. And I was one of the, seriously, Andy, I'm sure there were a gajillion people, but I was one of the gajillion people that spent time with Bill saying, it's okay to leave Microsoft and pursue philanthropy. Let it go. You've done it. Move forward to your dream. <laughs> So I think that's one of my key accomplishments um, in this lifetime. Although I know there were a gajillion other people saying the same thing. Well, yeah. So let me dig further into the title of the book. Then is is when you talk about creating you know resilient teams in turbulent times. Yeah, but the turbulence is not just things you talked about. Is a I, I wonder sometimes in your work, are you seeing the impact of sort of the increased tribalism that we see in the political sphere? Are those, you know, tribal, is that tribalism being transferred into the workplace? I mean, are workplaces becoming less safe in that regard in terms of suddenly it matters? Oh, no, I'm sitting next to a Trump supporter, or, you know, likewise, I'm sitting next to a, sitting next to a liberal, you know, is, is, is that creating to turbulence in the workplace? Well, some of it, but if we step back and we say, where does that turbulence come from? It comes from um, people that are asking for an emotional experience and not getting it. Without naming names, um, there are certain world leaders who maybe are craving mattering 
And so they need to stir things up to get a lot of attention. And then other people will be not feeling safe by that. So it all comes down below it all to somebody either craving and getting or not getting. And if they don't get it, then their behavior gets a little wacky, safety, belonging, and mattering. And then we start to break into these subdivisions of, I agree with this, I don't agree with that. And that further divides us. Instead of keeping us together as human beings, we start to faction off and we don't belong with each other. So safety of belonging mattering is awesome because it's below all of this. And if we can find that common core, okay, somebody likes this political person, somebody likes that one. But if we can find that common core of humanity and what we all are aspiring to, it makes a huge difference, especially in sales, marketing, and leadership scenarios. Well, I just wondered, though, too, really the question was, is, is, not, is the impact of that external tribalism finding its way into the workplace is that yeah. it changes the tenor of discourse because – you know, now with this whole, you know, BS about fake news and and so on, which is, you know, obviously a way to, to stake a position. But, but yeah, occasionally I hear, you know, people not respecting other people's opinions now because, you know, they fall into those, you know, that, that easy, disrespectful, you know, position. It's like, yeah, that's fake, right? Uh, right. We're, we're not, not giving, not giving, <laughs> right, judgmental, not giving credence to people. Uh, even at a basic level. So I, I was wondering how much you're seeing that through your work because, yeah, I'm seeing glimmers of it and it's it's concerning. Um, yes, yes. And the more sensationalism is out there, the more people are stressed to take a stand. So I think it kind of starts out there with, with key mm-hmm. leaders not being responsible and trying to manipulate people emotionally then we all as individuals need to say, okay, I'm getting really stressed out by whatever's happening out there. What do I believe and how do I want to show up? And am I going to be a professional that lets people have their own points of view and just looks at what's the business goal here? So I see it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but we find that if we can use these tools to keep people focused on the business goal and not the personal judgments, we move forward faster. Okay. Well, I mean, you talk about the this idea of the safety, belonging, mattering, really in the context of, I'll say, a, a journey, right? From where you are today, what you call your present state, versus where you want to be, your desired state. And so, how do, how do these things help you get from where you are today to where you want to be? Yes. So, as we start to look at what somebody is actually asking us for. So, if somebody is spreading fear, and they're spreading gossip and rumors, and they're talking about, you know, jumping ship chances are really good they're craving safety. So they're trying to take safety away from others because they're not feeling safe inside. So they want everybody else to not feel safe. That way they're not nuts. Um, Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's it's called identity coherence. You know, I want to see that that consistency so I know I'm not nuts. It's making my internal world uh, be the same as my external world. So if if you have a boss who's... And I've we've all worked for him. I've worked for two people, two people in my career. I thought were literally nuts. Um, what you're saying is, you know, they were creating that that uh, chaotic environment because they needed it to say, okay, it's not me, it's it's the world, right? Yep, yep. And and what we can do is sit down with them in the safety case and say. Hey, let's talk about what your concerns are. Let's create a plan and a backup plan and a backup plan to the backup plan. What data do you need? What information do you need? 
so that you know that you know things are in order. Um, the belonging stuff gets a little bit messy because a lot of us will, if we think about our workplace, we can imagine scenarios or remember scenarios where somebody withheld information, where they dropped out of communication, where they formed silos. And that's mm-hmm. a person who is in what we call critter state, that fight, flight, freeze state. And they are not feeling that they belong. So they are showing that in the external world. See, I don't belong. Um, why should I communicate with others? So if somebody is dropping out of communication, is not following through, mm-hmm. is stepping away, we need to actually say, wow, I'm so glad you're part of the team. You know, how, what, can, what can we create together? What initiatives can we put in place together? I see all your contributions. Stress, um, stressing community at that point. Thank you. Yes. Bringing them back into the fold, bringing them back into the tribe because they've gone rogue, you know? And then third, mattering. If we see, and again, think about this in sales scenarios too, safety, right? Belonging, if the person stops communicating, if safety, if they keep needing more information, mattering. If somebody's in their critter state, their fight, flight, freeze state, we call it critter because it's more fun. It's like a little animal, safe or not, dead or not. And if they aren't experiencing mattering, then they will have the behavior of condescension, arrogance, um, telling everybody that you know they're doing everything, it's all on them, being overly self-focused. And that creates less of an experience of mattering. So they're just basically taking their internal world and creating the external world to match it. So what we can do there is, wow, I really see you as a thought leader. I'd really like to hear your opinion on this. Um, wow, this, these great contributions you made really made a difference, et cetera. And but, but some of that mattering, though, and you're talking about sort of external validation in terms of creating a, you know, a sense of esteem in someone. But really, when we talk about self-esteem, I mean, it's, it's both external and internal. Thank you. Yes. And that's a meta-program. Yeah. Whether somebody needs external proof to know that they are good enough and matter or if it's a feeling, if it's a, you know what, I did my absolute best. So even if it didn't work out, I'm okay because I did my best. That's my gauge of did, was I good enough? So that's a meta program that we'll talk about in a couple minutes as well. Well, so are you summarize saying that safety, belonging, mattering, an equation, one plus one, one plus two plus three equals trust. Um, yes. So let's, let's look at this from a sales context. We've talked about these three criteria, which are for people who are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These are basically yeah. sort of the, the three middle stripes of the five, the five stripes that are in the pyramid um, in ascending order, safety, belonging, and esteem. Um, you're saying that safety is important, obviously, for buyers because you know, the biggest impediment to any decision-making is the perception of risk. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if we have... So how do, you mitigate, how do you mitigate that? Yes. Yeah, so if you have a, a buyer who is giving you all sorts of messages about not feeling safe, you know, fear, all the different problems that could occur, all the bad stuff that could happen, you know, what's the backup plan? What if the system fails? Then that's when we talk about um, guarantees. We talk about service level agreements. We talk about how we have their back. We show them a bunch of testimonials of people who had those same concerns. We talk about gnarly challenging scenarios that we've gone into and we've actually made things right, you know, taken chaos and created order. We need to show them that we value that experience of seeking safety and we have worked with people just mm-hmm. like them. 
Yeah, I, mean, I think that that in a sales context, this idea of making sure your buyer feels safe is is as you said, a risk, and you can sort of sense it in the quote unquote objections you get, the questions you get that yeah. that deal more with as you talked about sort of the what if type scenarios, and yeah, you give certainly a lot of examples about how that that uh, could be mitigated, the risk could be mitigated, but you have to think about it as you know if the buyer's yep. feeling at risk then that's going to hold up the decision more than anything else, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's interesting is is belonging comes up a lot in technology sales when you are when you are talking to the technology buyer. Many of us have had the experience where we have maybe three to five to six different decision makers or influencers. Mm-hmm. We code, okay, the operations guy needs to feel safety. The technology gal needs to have the experience of belonging. We're as techie as she is. We get how complex this is. We value the systems integration issues. Um, maybe the executive sponsor is craving mattering. So we actually need to blend our messages if everyone's in the same meeting room to talk about the safety aspects, the belonging aspects. Wow, we've been in the trenches with so many clients, just like what you guys are going through, you know, and we understand the complexities and the mattering. Yeah. Well, that the example you gave, though, that seems more like the safety aspect. So it's really a, a, you know, how do you make somebody feel the sense of community around the product you're buying other than just, you know, the product they're buying, excuse me, other than. You know, having a, an actual community, but but in the selling process, how do you how yeah. do you really inculcate that feeling of belonging? Yeah, we we talk with them about what it's like to be a technology person, and what the key aspects and complexities are of technology, and we help them understand that we've been there. We're like them. We understand that tech perspective. We're not just a suit selling stuff. So this is where uh, systems engineers are so great. When we bring SEs in on sales situations, mm-hmm. right? you pop the SE right down to the tech person. They're like, oh, you're a techie, I'm a techie. Let's just communicate tech because the suits don't understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So you know, we want them to have that same as experience at a belonging level of, hey, we're in this together. I get what the tech is and how it works. Here's something that actually a lot of our clients come across when they're doing integration. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. You know, hey, do you think we should actually also consider these three features? Because it looks like the scalability is possibly going to hit this particular level. Huh, that's interesting. How fast do the scalability issues kick in? You know, and we get down in there with them. Yeah, and when you're using this term same as, what I think to be helpful for people to sort of think about it is that, this is why I sort of talked about the extreme empathy, is is that that what you're saying is, yeah, we're the same as you are. Exactly. So, We're the same as you are, whether they crave safety, belonging, or mattering. Right. Yeah. So whatever your concern is, we get it because we are you. You are us. Yes. And we can do that in a bunch of different ways. We can do that with looking at their speech patterns, their behaviors, and noticing what they're actually asking for from us, safety, belonging, or mattering. And then we can also do it by speaking their actual language, which is metaprograms. Right. Well, we'll get to that in just a second, because I, th- yep. I think that's yeah. I think for people to to really grasp this for sales is is this idea of I said sort of extreme empathy is that you know you hear a lot of talk about objections and you know, how you manage those, how you handle those, and so on. But but really, the key I think to real I believe the key to handling 
not even how do I call it handling objections because I hate that terminology, is that objections are really a question. It's just a question that needs to be answered. And so it depends. Is it a safety question? Is it a belonging question? Do you, I mean, do you really understand what I'm going through in this particular sense? Or is it a mattering question? Meaning, yeah, you know, how how important am I to you or to this whole process? Yeah. And will I look good? It's back to that phrase from a long time ago, no one gets fired for buying IBM. You know? Which is which <laughs> so, is really the safety thing, right? It's safety and some mattering. Yeah. Will I get status? That's mattering is kind of, you know, will I get status? Will I look good? Will this project be a success? And that will then propel my career. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And those are those are very intertwined. So yeah. um all right. Well, let's let's jump in and talk about the time we have left with these these meta programs. You talk about. I mean, you're. Um, what I was reading about those in your book is sort of called divine, sort of the Jungian archetypes, I guess, uh, in the sense that that yeah, I think he defines seven archetypes, and that everybody sits on a a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think similar to what you're talking about with your meta programs is you you call out six in particular that that everybody's personality, who they are, their emotional agility, whatever attribute we want to let, attribute to them is is a combination of all six. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's one last thing on safety, belonging, mattering because it applies to meta programs. Sure, safety, belonging, mattering is contextual. So when you're with your financial person, your financial advisor, you know, maybe you crave safety. With your, when you're with your friends, maybe you crave belonging, right? When you're with your significant other, maybe you crave most in that emotional experience mattering. So I want us to look at how safety, belonging, mattering is, is, uh, is on a range, you know, and it's also contextual. Meta programs are the filters through which we experience the world. Meta programs um, really help you understand a person's map of the world, what it's really like to be them. And when we speak to someone using their meta programs, they not only really hear what we're saying, they have an even deeper experience of same as because we're actually speaking their language. And it's really my favorite version of rapport. It does take some work, but I find it's totally worth it. When you understand somebody's meta programs, you actually understand the structure of their identity and their belief system. It's really powerful stuff. So give us an example. Yeah. Okay. So here's one. Toward away. A person is either um, toward, get, attain, achieve, goals, 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 or away. Mitigate risk, solve problems, um, prevent disaster. Mm-hmm. So if we speak to the away person, mitigate risk, solve problems, prevent disaster, and we're talking about, let's take this risk and we'll do all that cool stuff and achieve these goals, they're not going to have the same as experience. If we talk to a toward person, goals, all good stuff, get pleasure, yay, um, and they don't even think about pain, the mm-hmm. way people think about pain, the toward think of pleasure, and we start talking about, well, what about this risk? Well, what about that could go wrong? They're going to be like, why are you bubbing my high? <laughs> You're not the same as me. Mm-hmm. You're clearly not a visionary, you know? <laughs> so that's an example of one. Shall I go through each of the six? Would that be helpful? Well, let's talk about that one for a second. Because I think that yeah. that, that um, yeah, I was thinking that in the context when I was reading that. Of I just read Daniel Burris' book, The Anticipatory Organization. And he talks about this concept, which I think is a very uh, valid concept. But I think overlays with what you talk about with the 
toward away meta program, the direction meta program, is that you know people in, inhabit uh, different slices of time is the metaphor he uses. So that when you look at people, you're maybe talking to somebody about making an investment in a technology product, is that you know someone's perspective from a risk standpoint, yeah, you know, they're not in the same time space that you are. I mean, you could be five years forward. You accept the risk. You know this technology. This is no-brainer for you. For them, it's still something that there's more risk associated with it, the risk both personal and organizationally. So that toward away, to me, sort of maps to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. If they're solving problems, mitigating risk, preventing disaster, you have to speak in that language. And it's and I like the the uh, context that the Burris talked about him because I think a lot of times that is, especially since we do have a you know, some segment of the audience here that's in the tech business, is that when you're looking at people from a instead of saying, "Gosh, they're an early adapter or an innovator or whatever." Is look at it from this this time idea is that people said mm-hmm. just start inhabit different slices of time. If you're not aligned with the person, the decision maker, on a time perspective, then it's just not going to happen until you are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's go. To, let's go. Let's go to another one. Um, options procedures. So options people, lots of choice, lots of possibility. The world is my buffet or oyster. You know, lots of bright, shiny objects. I want to play with them all. Procedures. Fewer choices, proven step-by-step process. And um, if you ask an options person, like, why'd you pick your car? They'll give you a list of criteria. Black, fast, good mileage. If you ask a procedures person, you'll actually hear the process they went through. I wasn't happy with my car. Mm-hmm. I then test drove this. I then checked it out online. I then talked to my mechanic, then I bought the car. The procedures person is compelled, important word, to finish the process. So if we have a procedures person, which we see a lot in operations, we see a lot in technology, we see a lot in finance, we see a lot in procurement, you're going to want to spell things out for them so that they feel compelled to go through the whole process. So super important there. Yeah, I think that's sort of... um... Similar to what Herbert Simon talked about or in terms of uh, maximizers in mm-hmm. decision-making, the people that have to, on one extreme, have to look at every single alternative to convince themselves they're making the absolute right, right choice um, or best choice. And the, and the science backs up the fact they do make the best choice, but uh, you have to decide whether that's somebody you really want to invest your time selling to or you know, people on the other end of the spectrum that gather just enough information to – make the good decision. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to also to the uh, general specific meta program. And I want to stress that when, when we're talking to a room full of people, just like with safety, belonging, mattering, we can blend. So if you have a room and you've got some people that are towards and some people that are away, some people that are options, some people that are uh, procedures, you blend. So we have lots of challenges. The away people are going to pop up. And we have some really great opportunities. The toward people are saying, yay, <laughs> we have lots of choice and possibility. Options people, woo. And we're going to follow a proven step-by-step process. Okay? We can blend because the human brain deletes, distorts, and generalizes. So the away person is going to delete the toward messages if we blend them all. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah it's like averaging, right? We take out the extremes and average exactly. the middle ones, yes. The stuff that doesn't interest us, we move on. Um, in general, specific is super simple as a meta program. Does a person process big chunks of information 
or do they like to start down in the details and then see the big picture? Mm -hmm. We all know somebody who gets, who suffers actually. I have a client here. If I go into too much detail, he goes, Oh, ow, stop. (laughs) That's an extreme general person. (laughs) We need to know. (laughs) But you can't always avoid it though. You can't always avoid it, but like if we're, if we're doing, um, uh, a company brochure or there's a complex selling message, what you, what you can do that's great is have really good descriptive headlines and the general people are only going to read the headlines and the specific people will read the pages and pages that follow. <laughs> so how are clients of yours or anybody that, that you're familiar with, that you work with, how are they using this, you know, these meta programs to actually then identify who they want to hire? How are they using it for the recruiting and interviewing process? Good, good. Thank you. Great question. Um, So for starters, it's really helpful to, uh, especially for salespeople, if we think about salespeople, someone who's going to be out there, feet on the street, you know, what meta programs would be most helpful for the salesperson? In many situations, it depends what they're selling. Mm -hmm. In many situations, it's probably toward, right? Get, attain, achieve, goals, goals, goals. I want to reach my quota, et cetera. Um, It's probably going to be procedures. I'm going to follow the sales process so that I can make sure that I complete it. Um, General specific, it depends on the product. Um, When we are, we have a, a series of questions to ask in Power Your Tribe to help you uncover the meta programs of a given person. First, it's really helpful to say, hmm, what would the ideal meta program profile be and safety belonging mattering trigger be for this particular role? If it's an executive assistant, wow, they better be really specific because there's a lot of specificity and there are a lot of procedures in, and probably also a way mm-hmm. in an executive assistant position. So first we sketch out what the profile should be and then we go through Power Your Tribe and we look at the different questions. We ask those to see if the person is going to match. Yeah, I mean, I think that that becomes a real interesting challenge, right? I mean, because it's it's um, yeah, you know, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot to sort of think about. That's that's hard for <laughs> hard for people to to keep in mind when they're doing interviewing because it's hard enough to get managers to not fall in love with the first candidate they see. Yeah, you know, lots of sort of suboptimal behaviors that go on. So. Yeah, I was wondering how does how's an organization really learn this if they want to implement it and and keep it operational, you know, operation operationalize it in such a way that they actually you know use it from a day-to-day basis. What I find happens in the vast majority of companies we work with, first, they use it in sales and marketing. And they find their salespeople are closing their sales up to 50% faster. Their marketing messages are up 300% or greater, more effective. They, they first use it in sales and marketing, and it brings in more money. Then they bother to use it in other areas. But seriously, it's, I'm, just, I'm trying to think of one example where the client first started using it in recruiting. They do use it later, though, once mm-hmm. they see how, how much it works in sales and marketing. Um, I would love to say that we could change that, but, you know. <laughs> When you know when people are closing faster and they're harvesting more of their pipeline, then it gets everybody's attention. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that's really anything that that helps people. I mean, part of the reason I enjoy reading the book was is yeah, I'm fascinated about this idea of of how do we connect with other people. You know, the whole relationship aspect of sales, the human element of sales. You and I have spoken about this before, and we don't spend enough time on this. We don't educate people enough about it, and. 
but it is it is hard, right? Because there's all these sort of day-to-day things that start interfering, and companies have their own processes, and they start layering things upon things, and it gets harder for people to sort of keep in mind. Uh, so, yeah, building habits out of that, I think the fact you've in fact you reduced it from I think what fifty two <laughs> meta programs to yeah. six was a great start. Yeah, helps helps and, people. And you can- you can even use like two or three, you know, if a person is like super toward, just focus on super toward and maybe he craves mattering. Just do like one safety belonging mattering trigger and one meta program and you'll start to notice the rapport growing. Then you can pop in some extra ones, you know, let's make it easy enough so people actually do it. Yeah, well, no? I, think, I think the safety yeah. belonging mattering is something that, that people could all understand pretty quickly. And oh, um, yeah. because... Yeah, you know, if you're not cognizant of risk when you're selling, then you're missing that one of the most fundamental deterrence to a decision being made. If you wonder why 50 to 80 percent of your pipeline is not making a decision, or making the decision to not make a decision, they make the affirmative decision to make no decision. <laughs> risk is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, and none of us buy products or services; we buy emotional experiences. No? Well, fundamentally, life in general is driven by emotion, right? So it's absolutely there. Yeah. Theoretically, I think there is no such thing as a uh, a rational decision. There's all emotional yeah. decisions. <laughs> so it's just to what degree the emotions decided. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at research from Carnegie Mellon, um, N- NYU, Stanford, Harvard, UCLA, etc., Columbia. Um, we, we've learned now that 90%, okay, 90 to 92, depends on who's researched, but that's good enough, of our decisions are driven, are dominated by our emotional brain. So why don't we take our 10%, our intellect, and really learn about that emotional brain? And again, we don't have to do all of it. We can just use you know one or two metaprograms and start to deeply connect with that human being and don't see them as a persona, see them as a person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? That's one of your phrases, which yes. I think is awesome. Yes. Love that. <laughs> uh, and now we can actually communicate, you know, and even if they're not ready, they're, the timing is not right. We have this bond. They're going to refer you to somebody at some point, you know, it's all going to work out at some point. Right. And I, unfortunately we've run out of time, but you know, we'll have you back. We can talk further. It's, is I think the challenge of the age is for certain segments in sales in particular that are you know, more progressive in their use of technology. I shouldn't necessarily say progressive, but more advanced in their use of technology in the sales space is how are they balancing the technology with the human side of things? Mm-hmm. And right now, it's not going very well, my opinion. Not going very well. And it doesn't mean it's not going to, and I think it absolutely could because, gosh, we need to take advantage of this if it serves the interests of the customers as well as our interests. Right now, it's just... The technology is all in service of of the seller, um, and that's one of the issues. But anyway, we'll have to come back and talk about that again because I think that's really, you know, a critical issue. Is how do we then take this next step and say, okay, how do we integrate these with the tools that are here or that are coming? Yeah, good, good, and let's also next time actually step through some examples before and afters. Yeah, that Perfect. might be fun. All right, yeah. well, Christine, thank you very much. It's been great to have you here. So you. Uh, tell people how they can connect with you. Yes. Smart Tribes Institute is our website, Smart Tribes Institute. Mm-hmm. You can go there and get all of our goodies. And then Power Don't Your forget Tribe that book. is our latest book. And you will love chapter two and chapter seven will change the way that you sell. If you can't read the whole book, just read chapter two and seven.
Yeah, I think people should read you. Actually, your introduction is quite good. And chapter one is you. you know, if you're going to understand the concepts, you need to read just more than two and seven. But okay, you one, guys, two, you guys seven. can read the whole thing. I know you can read the whole thing. <laughs> I and trust that you can. When it's on audiobook and it, you know, right. it's going to help you close fifty percent faster. Fine, uh-huh. yeah, read the whole thing. <laughs> All right. All right, Christine. Thank, thank you, you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest, Christine Comerford. Join me again next week as I welcome Brian Margolis to Accelerate. Brian is the author of the book titled The Index Card Business Plan for Sales Pros and Entrepreneurs. I actually featured this book a couple months ago in uh, my Friday book club writing. So we're going to dive into that. We'll be talking about business planning for salespeople. It's an interesting book, and I think you'll want to pick it up and read it after you hear that conversation. Uh, Before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House, the only all-in-one sales learning accelerator for B2B sellers. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. All right. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.